If you have a, if you've ever had a, if you've had any kids at all, and you were a kid at one point in time, you can kind of just imagine this scene. The person walks into the kitchen, they look in the fridge, they open the door, and what did they say? Yeah, after further analysis, there's nothing to eat. You just been to Walmart, you just spent 250 bucks, and there's nothing to eat, right? That's how Alex, and Josh and Alex, and they're just shaking their head like, yeah, because oh, we got all that lettuce in there, things that we can't eat. So we're going to talk today about uh, there's nothing to eat, and what happens when there's nothing to eat, like there's a catastrophe, and, and uh, usually it resorts to uh, looking in the freezer and other kinds of things, or maybe just calling in for some food. We're still in Mark 6, in chap- chapter 6 of Mark uh, has an interesting kind of little order to it, and Pastor Tri took us into that last week, um, and we, so we are about, well, close to halfway done with that one as we look at this. So let me read through uh, Mark 6, starting on uh, verse 30. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place, and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had a compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach, teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups of, on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them his, to, to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. We see this passage and we think to ourselves, oh yeah, I remember this. This is, this is a kind of a classic, uh, maybe Sunday school um, lesson that you, you learn. One of the really neat things about this particular um, miracle that Jesus did, and Jesus did a lot of miracles, uh, he started out with turning water into wine, and really from there, from a, a lame person to someone who could walk, someone who had never seen before, to someone who could see, hear, uh, speak. Uh, sometimes you'd see bleeding. He would stop bleeding. Um, he, he would change people. He would have a, a, maybe expel a demonic uh, spiritual thing inside of a person. This particular uh, miracle is unique in that all of the Gospels record it, every one of them. And the importance of it, it gives us a little bit of picture as we look at each of those Gospels. Very, very similar. Some have some details that the others don't. And so what we see in this, this is a, a time where Jesus uses uh, the situation 
to not only uh, do what he does best, which is to heal and to teach and to bless and have compassion on people, but also to teach his disciples. And they, were, they, were on, they like our graduates, were, were on a course of, of kind of spiritual progress that he knew they had to be at the end of three years ready for some very tough things. And if you were a coach and you were trying to pace out your athlete, your followers, and get them ready to be ready for the task that you know that they're going to face and that you know that you're not going to be with them very, very soon, how would you do that? And Jesus, as being a strategist, uses this particular situation to not only bless people, but to prepare his men for what was to come. As we look at Mark 6, whoops, let me go back. Oh, that thing is working a little slicker now. As we look at Mark 6, we're going to look at just a real quick glimpse of how it's ordered. So this is going to step back real quickly. In Mark 6, 1 through 6, this passage says that Jesus is not welcome in his hometown. That he basically is kicked out of his own synagogue. And so they send him on his way, and as they send him on his way, they're like, you know what? Jesus just said, you know what? Where you are most unwelcome as a prophet is where? In your hometown. Okay, and so we move on. We see that Jesus sends off his men in the next verses, 7 through 14. And so it says, calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over impure spirits. So he gave them authority and power, and their instructions were to go out. And these were his instructions. Take nothing for your journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts, because it's going to be a quick trip, guys. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you have that. Uh, uh, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached the, uh, that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Imagine you had just begun following Jesus, and you'd been with him for a little while. We're in Mark 6. So this is early on in the ministry, and Jesus says, guess what? You're going to have the power to not only bless people, but to heal people. Not only teach them, but you're going to cast out like demons. You're going to do some amazing things. Could you imagine how the, 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 these disciples felt? Would it be exciting? Probably scary, first off, and exciting at the same time. So he's sending them off. It's going to be a short missionary trip. And as we read verses 7 through 14, we see that this is his mission, is to send his men out. They're going to, they have the authority of him to do those things. They're going, to, they're going to teach. They're going to heal. And if they're not welcomed, they're going to, come, they're going to move on. And immediately after this sending of the disciples or the apostles, we move into what Pastor Tri covered last week, which was what, by the way? What was the topic? Yeah, John the Baptist, right? Okay, so here we are, John the Baptist. So all of a sudden, Jesus sends out his men, and then John the Baptist, this whole recording of John the Baptist being beheaded occurs. Interestingly, and then we drop back into, as we see God's upper story happening, we drop right back into, after this story, back into where the disciples now return from their trip. So he sends them out, we get a little clip, a little bit of a glimpse of John the Baptist being beheaded, and then they return, and that's the order that Mark puts it in. And you might ask yourself the question, why? And the answer to that is, 
probably lots of different good reasons, but one of them was this. John's ministry was to, to do what for Jesus? Prepare the way, I heard it. He was to prepare the way, wasn't he? And as John moves off the scene, we see this very, very distinct thing where all of a sudden these disciples are going out and their, their, their ministry and their message was of repentance, if you remember that verse. And that was John the Baptist for sure. Now Jesus is going to institute even a more better teaching because now we have the gospel of Jesus that is now in full, in, uh, full force. And so as we, as we see that transition happening, we see that uh, John was really just a part of God's upper plan to prepare the way for Jesus as people are now no longer going to be able to follow John. So if you're a John the Baptist disciple, what do you do now? What do you do now? What happens when your great coach retires? You get to work. <laughs> okay. Jesus was going to take on the people that John had prepared, prepared the way for. And so the people who were coming to Jesus were not just people from the towns. They were people who no longer had a shepherd, and they needed one. And Jesus makes a really big deal out of that. So as we look at this very first verse, as we go through this a little bit more detail, it says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported them all they had done and taught. So they were excited. They came back, man, I cast out demons. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was so exciting. You should have been there, Jesus. They're kind of just having sort of an after game sort of thing going on. And it was a faith-building experience on purpose. It really was. Jesus gave them a short-term missions. He didn't send them for five years. Why? They weren't ready. So he gets them back, and he's in this lesson plan, and he's got them kind of going along as, he, as he's doing it. And they've got some, some faith-building experiences underneath their belt at this point in time. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Pretty good idea, isn't it? Coach used to say, don't go out after a game. You're in high school. He goes, don't go out. You know, don't go out, go home because we have a game tomorrow and get some rest, right? So that's what Jesus basically says. We're going to go get some rest, and that's how it's going to work. So that's exactly what it was. They were hungry. They were exhausted. Jesus takes them to a place where they can hopefully get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Good way to get away because, of course, on the boat, people can't just follow them unless they have other boats, which wasn't that plentiful at that point in time. And we see in 33, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Now, how many of you have ever seen the movie, What About Bob? Not a spiritual movie, just a, just a really kind of a funny movie. Have you Richard Dreyfus? Okay, Bill Murray. Wow. So he's, he's a counselor psychologist and he's helping someone and then he decides to get a vacation because if you were one of those people, you would need a vacation, right? And so he goes away on vacation and who do you think follows him there? his favorite patient, who is absolutely crazy. And so you see this interlude. And as I, as, as I was reading this, I was thinking, you know, Jesus and the disciples actually got in a boat to get away, and what happened? Their clientele followed them to the other side of the river, to the northeastern side of the uh, uh, sea. And so what we see here is they're not going to get any rest. They were there already ahead of him. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Luke's version says this. 
But the crowds learned about it, learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. He was talking about them about the kingdom. And so now we have this kingdom talk. And that's completely different than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was about repentance. Now we're talking a little more deeper. It's like 101 to 201. Now we're going to talk about this kingdom that's coming and is going to be set up. And as Jesus was doing these miracles, people were probably asking, is this the guy? Is this the guy? By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So Jesus has compassion on them. Rather than getting really mad and, and discouraged and getting in his boat, he could have just turned his boat around and played, you know, played a little game with him. He could have done this, right? What do we call that? Pong or ping pong and you bounce around? He could have done that all day long. He wouldn't have got much rest. Why didn't Jesus, why did Jesus actually extend compassion when his men were tired? He was tired. He'd been kicked out of his own, his own, uh, his own homeland and basically had been become kind of a nomad in that way. Why did Jesus have compassion? It says because he saw them, and he saw them as sheep who were without a shepherd. So he begins teaching them, not just feed, he isn't just going to feed them, he's teaching them as well. And as we read this passage here, we see it's very late. The disciples have still not eaten, so they're in the fridge like, what's there to eat? And here's all these people, and now they're showing up, and their suggestion is to do what? Send the people away. Have you ever had someone who stayed in your house longer than you wish they'd stay? Okay, everybody, yeah, oh, really? It happens to you too. Okay, so, and it's not always a relative, is it? Okay, not always, no. And the, the feeling is, is that, okay, this is an imposition on Jesus and his men because they're, they're tired and they're hungry and they're now saying, you know what, Jesus Man, this is getting bad because your teaching is going on and on and on, which is great, but they're getting hungrier and hungrier and hungrier. So they don't have a Walmart around the corner and Albertsons or King Supers or whatever, so because they're in a remote place, and this is kind of a picture of the wilderness. What happened in the wilderness that had to do with bread? Manna. Ah. And what did they have to do to get the manna? They have to go out and work 40 acres? Put their stake in the ground? No. Uh-uh. God provided, didn't he? So we see this. Yeah, we see this picture kind of coming back. And you're like, wow, these disciples knew from the past that God could provide what? Anything out of nothing, really. And yet they're on this coursework with Jesus, and they had just been off of a victory. They just came back with the, with the victories. They had gone out on their mission trip, and now they're in the middle of a lesson. And with, in the middle of the lesson, their solution is to do what? Get rid of it. This is a problem we can't solve. And so as we read on, we see a little clearer how Jesus goes on and, and, and instructs them and teaches them because this is going to be a lesson they would, they would never forget. But he answered, you give them something to eat. Think about that for a little bit. Why did Jesus tell his men to give them something to eat? They were already hungry, so if they had food, guess what? They would have already eaten it, and so would you, right? True. Why did he say you give them something to eat? 
hey, have you ever felt helpless before? Where you couldn't solve your own problem? You're like, man, I, I have so many problems of my own, and, and then you're coming to me, and you've got problems, and, and now we just have more problems, and I can't solve either of those. And Jesus is just pointing out to them what? You can't do this. You're not able. But the issue is, is that he wants to redirect their gaze. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. And are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them, even if they could get to the grocery store? 20,000 people? How much food would that take? I was at Promise Keepers 20-some years ago, and I could not believe it. And we were in Boulder, and there was about 20,000 guys. That's, it was smaller then. And I could not believe, I could see the food trucks coming in. All they were feeding were, were us for a day. And I looked at that, the semi, couple semis full of food. I'm like, there is no way 12 little apostles, as strong as they probably were, like ants, could possibly even carry the food, much less buy it. You kind of go, wow, this is a huge issue. What if the whole town of Sheridan, everyone in the surrounding area, said, hey, we're coming to your little wilderness gathering out there, Outside, we're going to go to U-Cross or something and where there's no, there's no civilization or running water, all kinds of issues goes with that. And you go, okay, how are we going to feed those people? We're not. And Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And we look at that and we have to ask ourselves, what did Jesus mean? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. It turns out that Andrew, look at book, you look at John's version, it says that Andrew, who was always getting someone, he was the one who got, went and got Peter at the very beginning, got this little boy who had, uh, apparently his mom probably packed him in like an Israeli happy meal for the day. Here's your five loaves and here's your two little fish and, and you know, kind of got on his way, go, you know, go follow Jesus for the day or whatever. And Jesus asked him how much, and so there's a meager amount. There's just not enough. But here's what Jesus does. And then Jesus directed them, to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So the disciples are now organizers. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Can you imagine the disciples' mind? You're, so you're, you're like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll divide them up, but like, what's plan B like when we're supposed to div- like hand out the food? And so he starts to do this thing. He asks this blessing, and here's what happens. And as their lessons go a little bit more deeper, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Why have 12 baskets? How many apostles are there? What did they need to learn? There's abundance. Manna in the desert or the wilderness and on the side of the sea, there's an abundance. And Jesus is instructing them. And not only is he meeting the needs of people, but he's also building into his men a faith that is really, really going to be important in their life. Okay. Do you have any problems in your life? How about a marriage? How about kids? How about parents? How about a job that you don't particularly really like that much? How about, how about school? And you're just like, man, I got to grind four more years out in med school, or I got to climb up on a highly, highly powered pole 
and connect power for someone who desperately needs it for their heat or whatever it is. And you realize we have all kinds of problems. Um, my back hurts. My arm hurts. I've got this diagnosis. We all have problems. Do you know that God knows every single problem that I'm going to have from here on out until I die? He knows every single one right now. He could diagnose me, but it would be depressing. But he, would, he, could, di- he could diagnose me and say, yeah, and this year you're going to do this, you're going to do this. Guess what? He knows it all. He has a plan, and he knows it all. One of the things that to turn a problem into a miracle, a miracle comes in, come in all shapes and sizes. They're not always exactly what we think they're going to be is that we first, and this is in, in, in recovery, the first thing to, to do when, when in recovery is to what? Starts with an A. Admit. It also is this first step in really coming to know, the, that it, to admit that you have a problem and to admit that it's, it's, it, it's there. We don't have enough food. I don't have a spiritual life. Those are two different problems on two different planets. But they're still first to admit. And the next thing we need to do is to assess what we have. What do we have available? So Jesus says, how many fish do you have? How, many bread? how much bread do you have? And so we assess kind of what we bring to the table and we're like, man, you know, this is, this is kind of what I have, Lord. And a lot of times we can kind of just stop there or we can, with the disciples, what they did is, you know, kind of put it off, send them away. We can defer it to someone else, someone else's problem. Or we can procrastinate when we have a problem or we can actually kind of pretend that it's not there. That happens a lot too. And then after a while, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But the first is to admit. The second is to assess the problem, to kind of see where it is. And then also uh, what we have to do at some point in time is go, you know what, Lord, are you in this with me? And include him into that uh, problem. Pastor Ty was sharing a a few weeks ago, before we do any great thing, we must do one thing before that. What is that? You can pray. Pray. Because Prayer now enters in those five loaves and two fishes now become underneath the power of the one who can actually what? Produce abundance out of lack. And in our world, in my world of problems, the same thing is true too. A lot of times we start out our day and we're like, oh man, I got so much that's on my, on my you know, plate. So many pressures. I got this problem, this problem, and this problem. And we can, we can just admit that we have those problems, but what do we do with them then? Who do we bring them to? And do we do that on a daily basis? With the little things, not, not the huge things. Even the, even the huge things, sometimes we, we kind of don't do those things. We have time, we have treasure, we have talents, we have all these things that we can bring to the table to, to, to the Lord. But guess what? Without his blessing, they're all for naught. So we have a, an issue of, how do we turn a problem into a miracle? Include God in it, first thing. Include God in it, because we'll just continue the same, same pattern without that. And the next thing that we need to do is expect, not just sort of like wish. That's, that's a really weak word. I wish this would happen. Expect, in faith. See, there are, there are, these, there, there are some different types of people some of the disciples were, were figuring out how, many, how much wages it would take to, to buy that much food. Those are figures. Are you a figure when you have a problem? Nothing wrong with that. You're just figuring out, right? You, you figure things out. So there are people who figure things out, and then there are some people who, who just kind of just 
figure that, that will, that's for somebody else. And then there are people who are called faithers. And faithers are the ones who actually give their problems to the Lord and say, you know what? I am going to consistently pray for this thing that is so big that I can't get out of my life. One of the disciples uh, brought up to Jesus, Peter spoke up. He said, we have left everything to follow you. We think about how what we bring to the table. What the disciples give up, they give up everything. They give up their careers. A lot of them gave up their families. When they started following that crazy Jesus, just like some of you, your family was like, man, they're off on some kind of crazy trip. And what happens is, as Peter said, is we've given up everything. And here's what Jesus said to him. He reassured them. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age of homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. And what Jesus is saying is this. Even though we give up certain things here and we entrust him with certain things because to be a Christian really is, is, is just a, a different thing. It's becoming much more different than the world. Can you sense that yourself? Can you sense that Christians, as they live, follow Christ, are more different and more different than the world? And so there's a cost to pay, isn't there? And after a while, you go, is, if, we're, if we're paying this cost, is it worth it? Is it worth it to, to, to rely on, on the Lord? Is it worth it to spend our time gathering together on a Sunday morning to, to praise him and to spend time listening to his word and his instructions? Well, yes. Resoundingly, yes, it is. But to some people, it would sound foolish for sure. When Jesus said, give them something to eat, he was taking from what, who were these group of hungry individuals and saying, I want you to feed other people. And it is true that we need to get our rest and we need to be charged up as we go out into the, into the world. So tomorrow morning, I hope because of the time that you spent with fellow believers today and worshiping, that you are better equipped tomorrow to meet the needs of the people who you are in contact. And it's almost as if I could say to you, you give them something to eat. You've been fed You've been encouraged. You've been instructed in God's word. You can see how God can do anything, but we need to include him in, the, in that plan. And now how do we pass that on to other people? And part of it is, is tomorrow morning, if you would already do this, I want, this is the number one application. If you don't already do this, I want you to spend a minimum of five minutes. Can I have five minutes of your time? Can the Lord have five minutes of your time tomorrow? I want you to think of your top two problems and I want you to admit that you have them and that you need to deal with them. You can't just let them go on. I want you to assess what you bring to the table and then give that to the Lord and be willing to take action on what he convicts you or encourages you to do with that. So you have some ownership, don't you? You bring it to the Lord, but then in that, in that situation, Lord, please empower me or please allow me to to seek reconciliation, whatever it happens to be, five minutes to go to the Lord and pray to him about those two biggest issues. And if you go on beyond two, that's fine. But if you aren't already doing that, it will change your life. It will change your day. It really will. And it will make a miracle out of a problem. You will look back. I can think of several things. I was looking through a prayer journal 30 years ago. 
I was just a brand new Christian. I was like, wow, I wrote these prayers. Some of them were kind of short term, some of them were long. And I was amazed at how many things I had been praying for for years and actually forgot to pray for after a while. And guess what? God was working. Those prayers are stored. Like, I looked and I was like, that actually came to happen. Like, that was one of those, you know, you throw those Hail Mary prayers up, you're like, man, I, I wish this would happen. But I, I could never see it happen. And that little book, I was like, oh, I'm glad I, this made like eight moves. I had this little book. It was an encouragement because those five minutes tomorrow morning turn into miracles down the line. And it takes time. Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he or she found bread. Is that not true? It really is. Guess what? You've been given some bread. There are some needy people out there that you're going to meet tomorrow and the next rest of the week. Share, the, share a little bread with them and allow them to experience something different in your life, a sense of assurance that God has your problems under control that he's dealing with those things because you've laid them before his feet, he will not act unless you give them to him because it's an act of faith to give those to him. He will not act. It's your first thing you need to do, five minutes tomorrow morning. If it turns into 15, God's got it, got your back. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for this miracle. Thank you for the lessons you taught the apostles and we get to benefit from Lord, thank you for the five minutes, the 15, the 30 minutes that that turns into that allows us to put our burdens at your feet, the problems that we cannot possibly solve humanly in your hands. Lord, whether that's a relationship issue, whether it's a lack of money or lack of anything, Lord, that we would turn those things to you expectantly with faith, knowing that you're going to act in your way in the way that is, is best for, for everyone and for your kingdom too. And Lord, thank you for the, the, uh, the, the manna that you give us each and every day as we read your word and spend time with you and also as we gather together and we, we worship you on Sunday morning, that that manna would be something that we would share with others as we go about our world, that they would see that we, we have a different a source for the, for the problems that we have, that you are our source, you are our provider, you are our protector and our supplier. And we give you praise for these things. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.